all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Welcome to Cars and Comrades, your leftist car podcast. My name is Bryant. Today we've got the full crew, Zach, Connor, and Brandon. How are you all doing today? Yay. I'm angry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, for the listeners, we're recording this uh, the week after the railroad strike was put down by Biden Everyone. and company. Everybody. And, uh, as he shall henceforth be known as fuckface. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, we'll we'll probably have some more on the uh, the episode that comes out of uh, before this of uh, fuck it we'll do it live, but uh, yeah maybe we'll look for watch the space for updates on that whole thing. So this week we're going to talk a little bit about the biography of Ralph Nader, and we'll probably get up to around 1970 depending on our time here. You know, I started looking into this guy and I thought, oh, you know, that'll that'll be a short little half hour segment of his biography. But the dude is 88 years old and he has lived quite a lot of a life in that time. And uh, he's done a lot. And even up to 1970, it's a lot. So I think we can fill a full like, episode that way. I feel cool. like it's funny how, how long our biography <laughs> segments are on this show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> This won't go quite as long as the, uh, as the <laughs> no, Walter, no, uh, Walter what was Ruther. Name? Walter Ruther episode, but, um, we got a I trend mean, the, going here. Biographies are long. Yeah. I mean, the more I look into this guy, there, there's the more that's there. Like, uh, he's a really interesting guy. Um, and like Walter Ruther, he's kind of the best liberal working within the system that you could expect, uh, from that era. And notably, hasn't been effective. He, he's run. been effective in some ways. Okay, yeah, in some ways. Oh, then um, why did Joe Brandon crush the railroad strike? God. I don't know if those have anything to do with each other, but... I'm angry! <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so we'll do some Project Car updates before we get to, to Ralph. And... Um, I'm going to say, I think it's Zach's turn, since you weren't here last, you probably got a lot of stuff to talk about. I know you've been working on your WRX STI project. Boy, do I. <laughs> so many things. Yeah, I've got updates on all the stuff, for sure. Um, I'll get right into it if we're ready for it. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I bought I bought a wrecked uh, STI. Because I am sick and I have a problem. <laughs> I, my name is Zach. Did you say it's I'm, erect? It, it is erect and it's an STI. So, you know, really, really good uh, thing there. I'm very hungover right now, so my words are not going to be super awesome. Right now. Oh, I'm going to be tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to do my best. I'm, I'm going to do my best. Uh, yeah, it's... It is erect. 
That's I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> All I can think about is erect STI now. It's a car. It is not a penis. It is a car that was in a wreck that I purchased because I, yeah, I have a problem. And um, I will now attempt to justify my addiction. So the five speed in my WRX, those transmissions are just known for failing. They're kind of weak. You can't really put a lot of power to them without them just breaking. So a lot of people do the STI six-speed swap. But the thing is, everything has to be swapped for that to work. So you have to get a different drive shaft, different axles, a different rear end, different hubs, which means the bolt pattern is different. So you need different what? wheels and tires. Are you serious? And the Wait. coilovers mount differently, so you need different suspension. Yes. No, 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 no. Hold on. I don't. I refuse to believe this. The, <laughs> the no, the lug pattern's different. Yep. Five no. by one hundred on WRXs and five one fourteen point three on STI. Why would they put that on a WRX? Why nobody? Oh my. The more, the more I dig into my WRX and like really now that I have the STI and I can see things side by side, like I always kind of viewed an STI as a more performance oriented WRX. They're the same car. The STI is just a little more, you know, performance oriented. There were some years where they had definitely different engines. Yeah. 2015 onward, they're completely different cars, you know. But in my mind, it was always just the SCI is just the step up. No. Yeah, that's what I thought. The WRX is just an Impreza with a turbo. Literally, that's it. Okay. Like, yeah. mechanically, everything under a WRX is just Impreza parts. I think they had bigger brakes after 2006, I want to say. Slightly, yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, the step up. Like, it's a slightly larger rotor, as in diameter, from the Impreza to the WRX. And maybe the caliper is longer, so you get a little more brake pad in there. But then you go to an STI, which has four piston calipers in the front, Brimbos, and two piston Brimbos in the rear. And the rotors are massive, you know. it. It's just, it's a whole different car, it really is. Like, every single mechanical component of the STI is wildly different. The motors, I will say, are basically the same. Really, all you're getting when you get the STI engine-wise is variable valve timing on both cams. Yeah, and I think the, the like, uh, what do you call it, intake and, uh, and exhaust paths are a little bit different. You know, the valves are maybe bigger or something like that, but yeah, coming out of the motor, yes. And I mean, the intake, it, it, there's a different intake manifold on the STI, so yes, it's it's slightly different. The The blocks themselves, I mean, there's slightly lower compression in the STI motor, which means it can handle a little more boost better, but really, yeah, the main difference is drive game, drivetrain components, and they're worlds apart. Yeah. So, yeah, to do, to do, I say all that to say, to do an SCI swap into a WRX is obviously a lot. It's a lot of parts. And generally, you can find the full swap, all the parts you need uh, from a reputable source for like seven grand, which is not fucking cheap. That's a lot of money. Um, so I bought a wrecked Subaru SCI of my same generation 
for 6400 bucks, which is, in my mind, already put me $600 ahead. Because <laughs> before I bought this, I uh, every once in a while, my transmission will just have this, this lovely little rattly noise that, you know, it doesn't seem to drive poorly. It doesn't seem to shift bad or have any, like, actual issues. But the fucking noise it makes sometimes really concerns me. And I just don't want to be in the position where I blow up the five-speed. I don't have enough money to do the six-speed swap at that time. So I have to spend a shitload of time and money either swapping in another five-speed just to have the same shitty transmission in there or, you know, get rid of the car or whatever it would be. So it's like, I'm going to be preemptive about this. I'm going to be smart and spend $6,400 on a wrecked car. And, uh, you know, actually it's been going okay so far. I think I'm pretty well on track to actually get close to breaking even on this, on the part out for everything else. And I'll get to keep the entire drivetrain swap and the uh, motor as well. I am not completely convinced that I'm going to keep the motor right now. I might sell it if I need to, to make that money back. But the way things are going, I think I can keep the motor as well and have a spare engine. And keep the backup motor and start using questionable amounts of boost. That is genuinely <laughs> the plan. As soon as I have, as soon as I have the STI drivetrain in there, I'm just going to start really pushing it because I'm like the drivetrain won't break, the engine will, and I have a spare engine. So, how much can you handle WRX motor? Can you handle 25 pounds? We'll see. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's legitimately the plan right now, and it's it's been going well. I mean, immediately after I posted the uh, the car up to part out, I had I, I lost count at over a hundred different people sending me messages about various parts. I've sold a bunch of stuff off of off of it already. I'm shipping out parts tomorrow. I've got people coming through the week to come get stuff like. If you have a WRX and you want to do the SCI drivetrain swap and you've got the space and the time and the, you know, you've already got the money for the drivetrain swap, I would really seriously consider get, picking up a wreck and like trying to do it this way. It's like, it's a fucking lot. Like it has been super stressful, honestly, dealing with like all these people who want to like You're really sell me on this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been kind of a lot, but at the same time, like, dude, I think I might actually break even on this and basically get a full STI drivetrain for free. Nice. When it's all said and done. Most of us are usually trying to get rid of STIs. So, <laughs> Well, you know what? I am a sick, sick human being, and I want to get all of them. <laughs> Even the really bad ones. I like those, too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the ones that no one wants send them my way that's what i'm into i know uh, this, this is, is a joke but it's getting weird it is it really is getting weird i was about to say that let's move on from that uh, uh so the flagship car tuned by subaru technica international whose name i will not be mentioning again is uh <laughs> has exploded into pieces in my garage i i've sold a bunch of shit uh, if you're looking for parts, hit me up, um, especially if you're in the Denver area. That would be 
super cool. I think I've got almost all of them uh, sold and accounted for still, or uh, are already, I mean. But um, Zach's turning this into Craigslist, the podcast. Yeah, I am. <laughs> you, you want a Ford Ranger as well? Hit me up for that. It's a fucking piece of shit, and, you know, I wouldn't wish this nightmare of a truck on anyone, but hey, if you're as sick as me and you think you can handle it, It'll be that. different this time, yeah. It will always be different. Yeah, yeah. I, I can get it. Uh, yeah, that's my next update, is that fucking thing. Well, here, Zach, before you finish, I'm, I'm actually curious, because I've often wondered, one, I am really bad about, like, selling old parts and stuff. Like, I'm just like, ah, it's not worth it, this and that. Yeah. Where are you at, like, monetarily? Like, you paid 6400 for the car. Uh-huh. Where are you at through selling parts? And like, what do you think reasonably you can make back on this? Because like, I've always wondered, like, who wants stock parts? I mean, I usually figure if I'm changing shit, I'm putting on performance stuff. But right, um, I'm curious, like, what what do you, what have you gotten back out of this? Like, is this a viable thing for anyone else who might be listening to do theoretically? Yeah, I I really do think so. And like, a part of me like kind of wants to do this because like. I've had most of the comments I've had have been for stuff that I want to keep. People want, you know, drivetrain parts, the, the course, engine, yeah. stuff like that. So if I were to just buy a car specifically to part out, I think I could really hmm. make a lot of money on it. But, you know, people wreck cars and people run into shit and run over shit and beat up body panels. So that is where I'm getting most of my money. It was a front end collision. So the hood, the front benders uh, and the front bumper, the whole, the whole front end was smashed. But doors, side mirrors, the wing, the trunk, rear bumper, taillights, all of that stuff is all good. And I am making good money on that stuff. Like people want those parts. It's a desirable car, obviously. Yeah, there's and, a million of them out there. Yeah. And the interior is an upgrade from the WRX. So if you get like a little higher trim car so that, you know, stock parts are an upgrade for the lower trim car, you can really make money. I think right now I, I've sold a lot in cash. I've sold a lot over the internet. Um, but money in pocket right now, I'm at 1500 bucks from parts sold. I've got 1100 happening tomorrow as soon as i get the part shipped out that'll come in so i can confirm that uh with the the buyer and then by the end of the week i've got at least another 350 and i just posted this up at the beginning of last week like i i pulled all my parts off of it i've had the car for you know almost a month now but i you know i got everything i wanted out of it and then posted it up and that's where i am right now so so that's a pretty that's pretty good for so like you're getting what would have cost you seven grand to do a swap, you're now it's costing you like maybe four thousand or, or maybe even less. Yeah, yeah. I'm at like four thousand right now. So, oh. you know, as parts go out, it's it's getting closer and closer, like I said, to that break even point. And uh, that's you know, great, that's where yeah. I'm that's where I'm really like debating selling the motor as well. Like No, my, no, keep the spare. I yeah. have always dreamed of having a spare motor laying around. Just, just, oh, that would be so great to have. <laughs> right. Like a part of me does want to like really push the WRX motor and just see where it pops. But another part of me wants to baby the fuck out of it <laughs> so could, that I like, can. You could, 
you could play with it and like really push it, but also baby it and like have it last you for 10 years. And then you've got a spare in, well, maybe not 10, but you know, last year, <laughs> it's got 175,000 on it right now. I don't think it's going right. another 10 years. <laughs> it lasts you a few years. And then you got another motor, which by the way, just saying you already got the cost into it. You could buy a fucking rebuild kit. That's exactly what I'm thinking. That's like literally what I really want to do is like baby the WRX motor, save up money and have it fully built, closed deck, built built heads, forged internals. I want to build a 700 ish horsepower capable motor. And I think I've actually talked about this on the show before. You were, but you were this close to like the absolute dream. Right. Just do it. And literally all I have to do is to get some sucker, I mean some very smart <laughs> individual, to buy my Ford Ranger and then get some other sucker, I mean very smart individual, to buy my fucking Audi and I've got all the money I need to make what I really, 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 really want, which is a 666 wheel horsepower <laughs> Subaru. You know, you might have to run that, that on a dyno on a, over the course of a couple weeks to finally get that exact number. But yeah. I, I support you in your mission to do that. Thank you so much. That's like, I want to target everything to be built for 700 minimum so that I can easily hit over that number. So I'm not pushing parts to their absolute limit or beyond. Like if I do a 650 horsepower capable, you yeah. know, rotating assembly, it's not getting pushed past its limit. If I can just get everything to be capable of handling that 700 and then detune down. Do I see this is bad. This is bad. This is like unhealthy that y'all are encouraging me like this, especially (laughs) considering the dream you're, you're there, man. You have, you have done the thing that we're all hoping to do. I want a thousand horsepower street machine. So like, I'm not going to judge you for 666 <laughs> horsepower. Like I want a thousand wheel horsepower. Here's the thing though. Like I I've been going to therapy and you know, it's been Wait, really, this you know, is the conclusion you got to with therapy. <laughs> yes. Yes. God damn it. I was like, I feel like I dig myself into these holes. I dump a bunch of money into cars to give myself like a quick dopamine hit. And then like they sit for so long and I constantly tell myself, you know, I'll, I'll fix it one day. I like, you know, I'll definitely make my money back. All I got to do is this and that. And like, I can make my money back. And my therapist literally goes, it's really good that you're not giving up on these things. I was like, fuck you, dude. You're not supposed to say that shit. <laughs> Your therapist this does is not bad. understand car people. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I no, no, that's wrong. I'm pretty sure, like, you're not allowed to say that. Like, <laughs> Okay, a really I'm good sick. friend. A really good friend of mine once said to me, uh, before I met you, I always wondered how people started junkyards, but now it makes sense. <laughs> and I, f- I feel like that's the other side of the it's good you're not giving up coin. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she understands how close I am to that. I'm like, I've, so, I've said it like multiple times to her. I think in every session, I'm like, I have five cars right now. I'm five cars. She's like, okay, that's good that you have hobbies. I'm like, it's not this is unhealthy as fuck lady what are you doing you should not be encouraging this what's unhealthy about it you made friends with us because of it (laughs) that's true that's the unhealthy part you people are (laughs) Uh, got me in with the wrong crowd yeah 
No, you know what you need to do is figure out how to supercharge that thing. Someone has a build series where they have a twin charged EJ and whoa, buddy, man. It is tempting. That's like where you do a supercharger and a turbo. Yes. Yeah. Small turbo. Uh, the, or no, uh, the big, big turbo, little big turbo, little, little supercharger. Yeah. I had it backwards. So low end you can, uh, I don't know if theirs was like a clutched one where it disengages at, at higher RPM once the turbo comes on. I'd yeah, have to like can, look at you it. You can do that or you can have like a bypass valve or something. There's a couple right. of ways you can do that. Yeah. I I think that would be awesome. But I I know I've talked about this before, but I'm I'm really enamored with the the six cylinder engines that uh Subaru made. Yes. And I've heard a few people say that if you want to make more than 500 horsepower, it's just about as cost effective to get a six cylinder built as it is an EJ or whatever, a four cylinder. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. And you have that extra, you know, half a liter or a liter, you know, to make, you know, have that, that extra displacement to make power with. And it, and if you really want to make big power, it's usually the EG33, the earlier one. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's basically that. just a, an EJ with two extra cylinders. Yeah, specifically the EJ22. So each cylinder is, uh, you know, point, yeah. uh, whatever that is. So it, it's the same displacement per cylinder. So all the parts transfer over. It has like really similar architecture. And that was the motor that was in the, uh, the iconic, the 22B. Yeah, uh, yeah. SCI um, is the EJ22. And then yeah, the EG33 is yeah, just the big brother. Um, yeah. If you're serious about that and you want to look into it more, the channel Smedia on YouTube, S-M-E-E-D-I-A, uh, is currently building a, or built and is now rebuilding a very high horsepower EG33 swapped STI build. Like, I think oh, it's... Oh, yeah? Why are they rebuilding it? Yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, he built it. Uh, there was something wrong with it, and he did a street pull, like, right after it was, like, initially tuned. And there oh, was no, something... That's not how you do it anyway. Yeah, I think he had a dead uh, injector or something, and so it just got no fuel to one cylinder or something. Like, it just it dropped a cylinder. It completely fucked it. Like, I mean, every, he had to get new case halves, which is a new block. In, in Subaru world, case halves is the, is the block. So, yeah, don't do that. Um, but <laughs> I think he's targeting, like, 1,200 right now. So, you know, that's, like... An incredibly expensive and, and big build. But yeah, no, you can get up in the close to thousand horsepower range for yeah, like you were saying, roughly what it would cost to do that with an EJ. Yeah. And more low end, more cylinders. I mean the only yeah. problem with the six cylinders is I don't think there's any way of making them pass emissions uh with a turbo no. and a five or a six speed manual. No. That I could not imagine that would ever pass emissions. Well, so yeah. theoretically, depends on where you live. Some places do sniffer tests or whatever. You might not pass there, but you would theoretically have to use the ECU for, like, you would tune it so that it's not throwing any codes, and you should be able to pass emissions. Well, so the the six cylinder ECU for the early models are not designed for boost, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. And then the later model six cylinders are all CAN bus, 
And so they need, and they only came with automatics in the U.S. So like, mm. there's like, okay, there's no ECU that from the factory that's designed for a six cylinder and boost. Well, theoretically, I wonder if you could tune those so that you could pass. Because theoretically, as long as you're not like throwing any ridiculous codes or like it doesn't know that like something totally wild is going on, you should be able to pass. But weirder things have happened. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Like, I just don't know anyone that's done it or I don't know of anyone that's done it. I Everyone that's doing boosted six cylinders is doing a standalone ECU, yeah. Uh, yeah. usually a Haltech. Yeah, I think just the cost to benefit ratio there is insane. Like, if you were just dead fucking set on making it a, uh, you know, registered street car, so I'm yeah, sure there I'm is a way. About. I want it on the street all the time. I want well, it I mean, to work. you, you know, not having registration doesn't make the car not run. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> it's just about how much risk you're willing to take. And I mean, you know, don't tell anybody I, I said this, but my tags expired in June and I'm fucking not going to fix that shit you know, for a while. So, you know, and my car's not exactly like under the radar right now. You know, it makes yeah, a bunch you're of noise. Very, you are very lucky. I feel like now that you've said it, this oh week, yeah, it's going to be a rough week for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, fuck it. <laughs> uh yeah i mean like you can you can run unregistered cars on the street though like, yeah just, just uh become a sovereign citizen yeah, but the make longer a... you do it the more likely uh you, you get a nasty outcome eventually <laughs> yeah. i mean be honest right now who among us has a completely legal car that they daily drive like it would actually like if it was scrutinized went over it would pass all the road traffic ah. safety laws my MR2 would, but it's in the garage right now. I haven't. I need to do some work on it. That you daily drive. Have... Who daily drives a legal car here? Come on. I I might. It's possible. I have cats again, so. Okay. I mean, I don't know what. Oh, oh you know what? There's an Illinois law <laughs> that if you modify the exhaust any louder than OEM, it's illegal. So. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Couldn't. It's just that. about how much risk you're willing to take. None of us. I have one car that's totally legal. Does it run and drive? Yeah. Really? Yeah. My Cutlass is legal. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the, the uh, asterisk the asterisk here is that uh, if you ha- put antique plates on something, it's exempt from all inspections. Oh, son <laughs> of a bitch. Okay. All right. You know You're that's technically fair. correct. I'll take it. The Zach, best you kind. asked about legality, and Brandon's fucking legal. And also, I know a guy I can buy head. stickers from, so if I ever really need to get legal, I just do that. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, like you can you can definitely do some some crazy shit and run it on the street. It's just, you know. Honestly, I think if you just put like a nice, like muffled resonated exhaust, you didn't vent to atmosphere on your external wastegate, you know, you rerouted that back in, you were kind of low-key about it, you probably wouldn't get hassled. And just throw tags on it. Like, just put plates on it. It doesn't yeah, you even have just, to be you know, that car. You, you can always get away... Well, you can't always get away with. But sometimes you can get away with... If you have another car, put the plates from that car onto this one. So it's still you're the owner. And then you go, oh, are these the plates for... Oh, what? You know? <laughs> did, I, did I mix them up? I thought I might have. Oh, damn, it, I, damn it. You know? <laughs> I bank on that move. Oh, yeah. You always have... I mean, that's... It's that's a solid the first move. one. That's Musical the first plates, one you, man. Like, I don't... I ain't, 
half my shit registered. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't run, so it doesn't need to be registered. I wasn't like, I'm not being cool outlaw guy here. Just <laughs> every now and then something will like run for like five minutes and I'll like take it around the block or something with a, with the wrong plate on it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just keeps the law like that much less interested, you know? Yeah, looking it doesn't have any a really good move. Looking stu- oh, whoopsie daisy. <laughs> oh, who knew? Yeah. Actually, I did have a motorcycle that like might have like there was some sketchy provenance. I don't know where the origins of this bike is. I don't have paperwork. I drove it with a different plate for like four years. Yeah. But it was just a plate from another Harley. So what was a cop going to do? Like, well, I don't know. This this doesn't look like the right year based on the, the... Like, no, you're stupid. You don't know even how math works. So you don't know how old it is. So just shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that fucker got C's in math. Like, he's not fucking calculating shit. That's yeah, nobody got A's in math and then a fucking badge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a solid move. Because, yeah, a lot of bikes... Hard to tell apart. So interesting. Just interesting things to think about. Yeah. I, I once uh, commuted on a um like a mini bike with a lawnmower engine and that definitely did not have any plates or lights or insurance <laughs> or anything like that. Doesn't it not need it if it's like forty nine CCs or lower or something like that? Yeah, this was like two hundred CC or something. <laughs> Damn, that's a big ass lawnmower. I mean, it Jesus. made five horsepower, but <laughs> that's enough. I mean, I bet it was pretty quick. Oh yeah, no, it would go 30, 35. It, you know, the brakes were not really that great, but uh, the motor was pretty good. <laughs> Never has thirty-five felt so fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, oh shit. Um, one more quick update, and then I'll we can move on. I got. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. These fuckers with all their cars need to just chill and get rid of them so their car updates are quicker. Am I right? Oh, mine will be quick this week. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the Ranger I took in to the to a transmission shop just to have them give it a once over before I pull the transmission out again for the mm-hmm. fucking third, fourth time, whatever. Uh, I was like, hey, you know, tell me what you think is wrong. Is this a different shop or the same shop? No, God, no. It's no, like not the same fucking to... shop. <laughs> so what's worth asking? Shit go to the change. grave. I will go to the grave cursing that guy's name. If I see him in public, it's on site. Fuck that guy. He's a piece <laughs> of shit. I, yeah. That was a whole thing. Yeah, no. Definitely a different shop. Super nice guys. They looked over it for me. Didn't charge me a dime. They just, you know, went over everything on it. Um, but bad news bears transmissions fucked again. Oh, uh, what? yeah. They're like, it just wants to start in high gear. It won't like you have to manually shift down into low gear when it like starts. There's something going on. We'd have to pull it apart to do it. And they're like right up front with me. I was like, what am I looking at? They're like, that's 1800, 2300 bucks, depending on, you know what we got to do. We like, we're backed up. We can get you in soon. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to do a junkyard transmission. Fuck that shit. They're like, no, not a bad idea. Honestly. Yeah. That's what I would do. <laughs> we we got to tell you what the price is, but I, I would do it a junkyard build too. Yeah. He's like, you can probably find a good one out there. Lower miles. Maybe, you know, I would do that. If I were you, I was like, yep. Thank you. I, I will be doing that. So bad news on that front. Um, 
but I was driving it home and it did drive home. It made it home. And when I parked, I looked underneath it and noticed that there was coolant all over everything. So there's also a massive coolant leak coming from somewhere. You fooled me. That tone was really (laughs) good. You got me. You got me good. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's, it's whatever. I'll get to it when I get to it. It's It's, at least it's an external coolant leak. That is true. That's true. Uh, A little foreshadowing there. Yeah. This is is good foreshadowing. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, Well, great. You should be a writer. I'm nothing if not literary. (laughs) <laughs> you know uh, what i think you should do zach is when you're done drivetrain swapping your wrx you should put the entire engine drive wrx drivetrain yes. in the ranger yes god damn it you're on to something <laughs> it would be way more reliable yeah honestly i mean i, mean, I don't know if it would you know kind of take yeah, that kind of like is the could... motor what you've been having problems with? <laughs> no, no, it's the transmission. But hey, that's technically a four-wheel drive transmission. Yeah. I don't know how you could get that to work with like the weird axles that you got on that Ford, but... Yeah, I have no idea. There's a there's a way in there somewhere. There's always an adapter. Yeah, yeah. you should, oh, yeah. You should spend a lot of money figuring it out, though. <laughs> I think a lot of people would be interested in this... WRX swap to uh, a Ford old '90s Ford Ranger. I think a lot of people would be interested in knowing what that takes. You could be the first. Go ahead. I okay. I have seen people drivetrain swap WRX running gear in a Miata and a um, Mini Cooper, um, but both of those people are insane, and I would never do that. So. Yeah, now I, I almost so got to eat my own words too is. here. I, I was making it sound impossible, but um, now that I'm thinking about it, there is a drift team that has a that had a couple of drift trucks, and they had like one JZ swapped Chevy S10s, and I think one had like an SR in it or something like. Yeah, and they were lowered on coilovers and stuff with total like S13 240SX suspension setups. So I don't know. I guess it's possible. <laughs> I okay, real talk. If I were to do this, oh no, I, oh, I would no, have yeah, to go. Is, no, please don't do this. <laughs> I'm a sick individual, and you are feeding into my addiction. So, just <laughs> so, so you know, that's not what your therapist said. <laughs> God damn it. You're right. This is actually healthy, and it's good that I have hobbies. So, this is what I would do I'd have to go in the complete opposite direction. Uh, of the current Ranger build for the time being. You can lift WRXs with like subframe spacers. So maybe that would be after it was proven to work. I could go for like a, a mild lift, but I think I would pull the entire suspension setup out of the Ranger. So yeah. take the, uh, the dual A-arm out and just go over to the WRX stuff then all I would really have to do is relocate the hubs, get custom axles made that were longer, because I'm sure the wheel spacing is much wider on the Ranger. And then really, it's just the only custom work would be mounts for the WRX suspension to the frame of the Ranger, and then axles and drive shaft to make them the right length to get out to the wheels and back to the rear diff. I mean, that's very doable. Very doable. And then, you know, maybe cut out where the coilovers or the, you know, I guess there's not coilovers, but where the springs, the spring perches 
in the Ranger are now and just weld in the, you know, the strut tower from a WRX weld in or, you know, just make a template and weld in plate for the top hat to sit there. Bada bing, bada boom. I think I could get this done in like a month. (laughs) (laughs) Very doable. Totally doable. Joking aside, I've always wanted to take like a vehicle that I personally really like. And like, maybe I own one of like a early van or something and, and a modern, like, you know, let's, let's say Subaru and say like, how do I just make this body work on this thing? Yeah, that would be yeah. yeah, like a hat car, I think is what they call it usually, where you cut out the entire floor pan of the donor car and weld it to the, the top shell of the the car that you're swapping it into. Uh, yeah, 100%. The only exception being that, like, I'm never okay with modern dashes, and I always need my dash to have, like, an older look to it. It can be, like, digitized and modernized, but it still, like, has to generally have the layout and appearance of an older style dash yeah oh man just get a digital dash that's just a big screen and you can customize them any way you want you can make them look like an old dash to be clear i don't just mean like the gauges and all i mean the the layout and everything i can i can do most of that fab work but yeah the digital dash would fill in what i i can't do just like off the cuff yeah and you can always just you can always just run like the most basic digital display with just like a speedo and attack and then just put in mechanical gauges for you know oil pressure coolant temp all that so you know the more simple things to read i can also just not put in any gauges and find god yeah i mean that works yeah it works it's it's a solution i've blown up i've blown up motors on that reasoning (laughs) <laughs> yep it'll happen oh, I, I lied hold on I, I got one more unless you got something Brandon I got one more car update and then and then we can move on oh I got plenty just go ahead okay <laughs> yeah, I think I think we should just roll right into Brandon after after this one yeah for sure I think that's a good segue he's got the next big one uh, yeah it's not that long but it's a pain all right uh, I'll, I'll be quick then and then we can move on uh, so for the sake of space and just you know, not having to deal with it. We uh, hung the Cobra body from, uh, if you're new to the podcast, I recently purchased a, purchased a 1965 Shelby Cobra kit car. And I'm very happy about it, but I have nowhere to store cars as it is. So this one is in my parents' garage and they would like to use their garage. So we hung the body from the ceiling. It is now about a foot below the ceiling of their garage uh, on ratchet straps. And we (laughs) tried to do it with like a little pulley system and it was going pretty well until it wasn't. And one of the pulleys yanked out of the ceiling. And so the corner of the car swung down um, and missed my dad's head by about a foot. Uh, Everyone's okay. The car's okay. We got it back on the ground and did it better. We put some, big four by four beams across his attic and drilled holes in it and put really big eye bolts through them that come down through the ceiling. And then we just put ratchet straps on the eye bolts. It's safe. It's hanging now. And we're all alive still. So yeah, I think that's updates on all my cars. The Audi still is sitting. I don't want to touch it. 
I hate that card. <laughs> Buy an Audi from me, please. <laughs> All right, Fred. All you, buddy. So wait, we're, we're, skip, we're skipping straight to me now? It's Yep, you're in the hot yeah, seat. Yeah, mine's, mine's short after this. Uh, but yeah, Brandon, you go for it. So, so when we left off uh, last episode, I was what? Uh, my carburetor was broken? Yeah, you're no, having trouble even... with the, the choke or something, right? Well, the carburetor broke in half. Oh, well, yeah, that's that's a problem. Like literally, physically, like the whole body broke. Uh, okay, so I, I couldn't remember exactly where we were at, but I, I believed that I was having what I thought was an issue with my accelerator pump, pump diaphragm. Uh, so I ordered a new accelerator pump diaphragm, and then uh, I also started doing some body work on the van because I literally hit a bump really hard one day. And some Bondo that I knew was there, like, crumbled, and I didn't realize how bad it was underneath it. Oh, boy. So I ordered new panels. I got it to the shop. I started cutting everything away. It was bad, but not nearly as bad as I was prepared for. So it was going pretty smoothly. I had everything 100% prepped to start welding on the new rocker the following day. I go home. I have the parts at home in the mailbox and I'm like, you know what? Like installing a new accelerator pump diaphragm is not going to take me more than an hour generously. This isn't like, oh, I can do it in an hour. This is like, I can do this in 10 minutes. I'm going to give myself an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I pull the carb off and an interesting thing happened, which is that uh, carb is only mounted down by four bolts and only three of those came off. The tab holding the other side down just stayed on the bolt. Hmm. And that's how I found out that it wasn't my accelerator pump diaphragm that was busted. It was the fact that that whole chunk of carburetor just wasn't moving correctly to actuate the accelerator pump. So you uh, still got it done in an hour, right? <sighs> <laughs> You're joking, but yes. No shit. How? Um, so I was like, well, fuck. I sprayed it down with some WD-40. Actually got uh, the linkage. Bec- I think what actually maybe either accelerated the breakage or caused the breakage was that the uh, tab had where the accelerator pump mounts to, uh, that the, the linkage had sort of seized up. So I don't know if it was applying pressure and snapped that tab off or what. But I got the uh, linkage all freed up so that it was moving fine. And because it was a brake, there was I was slightly able to like wedge them together and bolt it back down. Okay. And when I bolted everything together, it fired right up and ran fine. No. Now, this was fully uh, knowing that like I had to replace the whole mess. This was not like a long-term solution. This was a get-to-work-the-next-day solution. And I actually went out that night and I drove it to over to my friend's house and it ran really, really fucking good. (laughs) I mean, like throttle response, like I haven't had in years and like a a chunky idol that was just gross to listen to. It was beautiful um, for most of the drive. Uh, Most of it, huh? About halfway back to my house it started running really poorly and it's whatever i get back to the house 
I say, I'll fuck with it in the morning. I go out in the morning, try and fire it up. It won't start. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I, I did get it started that time. I drove it around it, and it just drove terribly. I went straight back to my house, looked, and because I had not tightened one screw on the float bowl, not not the uh, I, I don't know what you call it, but like uh, it holds gas, and if you don't tighten the bolts well enough, it gas can leak out. And also, it had tweaked just enough that my the tab that broken off was no longer sealing well against the body. So basically, I created a really interesting situation where I had a gas leak and a vacuum leak where the gas was leaking into the vacuum leak. Crazy. It was basically like externally carbureted. <laughs> you got an external combustion engine going? <laughs> oh, no, that, that was the Ford a few months ago. <laughs> anyway like i pulled it off and you know i actually tried jb welding the tab back on and all this other stuff and i could yep, get it to, i could get well because i didn't really need it to be structural i'll just needed it to hold the uh like to prevent the air leak right. uh but it wouldn't run even even like doing that it just it was sucking in too much air it was doing this thing where it would rev between 2000 and 300 rpms um it would barely idle and then it would kick in and just rev up and then die down and rev up and die down and sounds like my car normally <laughs> <laughs> i i did order a new carburetor but i have a bunch of other hollies so i started trying to cobble one together out of spare parts mm. i pulled that carburetor off and another one of the tabs broke off and that was when i realized that the crack went across the entire front portion of the carburetor Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, like, I wasn't even that, uh, like, fucked up about it because a new carburetor was, like, 350 bucks, And my actual thought was, like, that's cool. That's the most expensive problem I've ever had with this van. Because yeah, when you, that's not bad at all. When you fix shit yourself 100% of the time, like, the cost of parts doesn't usually get too high on a 50-year-old van. Yeah, it's a small block Chevy, right? Right. Or am I dude. thinking of a different one? Yeah, no, no dude. The, this, I mean, this is a 327. It's easy to oh, find yeah. parts for. Yeah, um, even like getting new stuff from like, you know, Summit or Jags or whatever, parts for those are, you know, not crazy expensive. Like, not to get too far ahead of myself, but I actually looked at like a new bottom end, like Stroker kit to put a 383 together. Some yeah. of the more low end ones are like 900 bucks. Oh, dude! That's that's crank <laughs> rods. Oh. That's crank rods, pistons, rings, and like gaskets and some other shit, like hardware, like yeah, like all, kit, everything you need to tear it down, put it back together, and have three hundred eighty-three. It's, it's an all cast kit, so it's not going to be high RPM, high horsepower, but like you know, if you're trying to like make four or five hundred pound feet of torque at like thirty-five hundred RPMs, that's that's the move. Man, so, yeah. you couldn't you could not stop me from doing that. <laughs> Nine hundred bucks? Shit, dude. I'd have bought it already. You got more self control than I do. Well, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh so I put my I put my new carburetor together, like and actually I I found one of the bodies that was the closest to my old carburetor, like in terms of uh, CFM. And mm -hmm. I mounted all of the old uh like jets, uh like metering blocks, all of like everything uh the only thing that was 
original to the other carburetor was the springs that open the vacuum secondaries and the accelerator pump. I got it on there, and the worst that it did, it was kind of a high idle. Okay. And that could probably be adjusted, right? I mean, uh, yeah, I hadn't even that. actually worked on adjusting it. I had done a couple of things that it was unresponsive to, but I had to pull one of the float bowls to take a look at something. And, you know, a high idle on that thing was like 11, 1200 RPM. Oh. In, in you can gear, live with that. In gear, it's still idle at four or 500. So oh. I just decided to wait it out and figure it out. Outrunning some errands, and on Friday, we what happened is what we've been hinting at, and I blew a fucking head gasket. God damn it. God damn it. Uh, it's always when you fix something, huh? I was running out to uh, help a friend of mine out. I was dropping something off for him, and I was on the other fucking side of the city, and I am literally, like, at the driveway of where he works because I was dropping it off there. And suddenly I look down and my temp gauge is at 230, climbing to 240. I fucking fly into the driveway, slam it, throw it in park, like... And they come out and they're like, is everything okay? Because <laughs> they see me opening up the hood and I haven't even gone inside yet to say hey. And I'm like, yeah, well... I guess we'll know in a minute. I've either, I'm either leaking coolant on the street or in the oil pan, but I got nothing in the radiator. Yeah. And I, I said it as a joke, but uh, true enough. Once everything, uh, once everything cooled off, there was nothing but milkshake in the oil pan. Nice. Uh, yeah. So I have to pull the entire. It doesn't. I'm not seeing any obvious signs that I did any damage, even though after that I, I topped off the radiator and drove it back to my shop to drop it off. I um, mean, once you're already there. Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario, I blew up the motor and I blow it up harder. I don't know. Like, who gives a fuck? <laughs> yeah, if it's fucked, it's fucked. They, like, you can't fuck it more, really. It's just at, it's at what this, it is at that point. At the same time, I was, just, I was like, I don't care if the motor lives. Just get to the shop so I don't have to deal with a fucking tow truck again. Because yep, as we were, as, as y'all were just discussing it, it's nice to have a spare motor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I got, I got a few motors sitting around that I could throw into it if I had to. Uh, well, at least it's just an overhead valve engine. So like changing a head gasket is not as difficult as it is on a modern twin cam engine or something. A hundred percent. The only way that I would slightly disagree with you is that. If it was a car with a hood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, because I, I'm going to have to be doing 80% of this work in the doghouse, like from inside the van. Yeah. And How it's, difficult is it to just take the motor out, though? I'm honestly on the fence about... I, I'm going to try and do some stuff and disconnect the... Or like just to, to see how hard it's going to be to pull the heads from... With the engine installed. Yeah. There is a good chance I'll just pull the fucking motor, because uh, yeah. it's in some ways it's easier than with a regular car. You pull the grill and the 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 support across the between the fenders, and like a hand like the radiator, all that shit stuff that's like annoying but really not that difficult. 
And then uh, with after that, you pretty much put an engine hoist on the motor, disconnect everything, and push the van out from underneath the motor. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah basically, you just pull the front clip and then slide the van away. Yeah. That's Makes sense. Uh, yeah, with any luck, I just blew a head gasket, and I'll have it back on the road by the time we're on next recording, which I do think is a genuine possibility. I'm going to pull... I was going to try and start... Uh, disassembling everything today but i was was late to record even having only done one of my chores um so i'm gonna try and work on it tomorrow and see where my next step is but probably i'm just gonna order a new set of comedic gaskets and throw it back together and see what happens like i think my engine was a little bit higher compression than it should have been for me always running like 87 octane hmm. yeah but well, I mean, like, but I never had any issues with detonation because, like, I don't know how much you guys know about, like, dynamic compression, but, like, if you're meant to be making big power, like, five grand, and you never get up to three grand, then what that means is you're just never getting enough cylinder fill to really need a higher octane fuel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and this is my daily driver. It's basically my work van. So I would, I, every now and then I would take it out and beat on it, but... It, I've only had it up to 4,500, five grand a handful of times. And even then it still didn't seem to hate the 87 octane. So I really yeah. don't know. So once I get the top end off, I'll take all the measurements out, just out of curiosity and see like if it really is a 327, like I was told, if it's, you know, if it looks like it has shitty head gaskets on it, then uh, there was actually a couple of indicators now that I'm looking back that maybe the gasket started to fail a couple of years ago. And only finally gave up the ghost this week. Hmm. Yeah, that seems that seems very possible too. I mean, head gaskets will usually tell you pretty early on. They don't generally just fail out of nowhere unless you're really pushing a car hard all the time. Just for a daily, they'll they'll smoke, they'll do something. Well, okay, so like you know, you, you get like a little bit of steam in your exhaust or or it, a little bit of smoke coming out when it's like you know super cold out, and that's just. You can see your breath. Your car can see its breath. Yeah, that's um, expected. My van, it, it seemed a little bit smokier out of one side than the other. Oh, yeah. But okay. I never really thought too much about it because I never noticed it in warmer weather. And now I'm just wondering if I just wasn't looking for it. Because it would also explain the fact that, like, I didn't exactly lose, like, a gallon of coolant every month. But, like, you know, I had to top it off every three or four months. So... Yeah. Yeah, it's possible then. Yeah. But I'll know more by the next time we speak. Hopefully it'll be back on the road. I'll probably like send that new car. I did order the new carburetor. It did finally come in once I finally had one rebuilt and running good. So I'll probably just send the new carburetor back and get a set of fucking head gaskets and shit. <laughs> Some new uh new head bolts and all. So you're you paid three fifty for that carb? Yeah. So I mean, if you send that back, then you're only five fifty away from that stroker kit. So really, <laughs> you'd only have to pay five hundred and fifty bucks out of pocket, and you're already probably going to pull the motor. I mean, oh, it's exactly. like I hear the you. perfect time. I, I hear you. I see you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I literally thought about. It. I have to check. I have to check the bore. Because if this engine hasn't been bored out or is bored out a lot, then 
some of the stroker kits get a little finicky because they come with pistons and rings. So you have to make right. sure that you're like, like a 383, I believe is uh board out 30 over. Okay. So if my engine is stock bore, I'd like you, I would either have to like bore it out or put in a small, a different kit, which would technically be a 377. Right. And also if you are putting in a stroker kit, you usually have to clearance the block on a small block. Okay. Yeah. And I am trying oh, to get this yeah. thing back on the road. <laughs> That's fair. That's yeah. fair. I, I but I mean, I, a die grinder. You have. You probably have a die grinder. <laughs> I'm just no. telling you. You that can like, clearance the block, dude. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be perfect. You just got to make space. You're over here encouraging me to like, <laughs> you're, you're, to do this thing, and I'm over here like, why do you think I know the prices off the top of my head? <laughs> what you're saying you is you don't like, need much more encouragement. Why are you acting like I haven't been shopping around for these kids all weekend? <laughs> hey, man, I'm not hearing purchased and on the way yet, so, you well, know, I, I, sometimes I will, you just need a little push. I will say I'm in the unfortunate position where, like, it's always, like, time or money, never both. Right. Right now I have money, but I haven't really been working that much because work's been slow. So I'm like, well, shit, I could do this, but it might fuck me in a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, if you still... Don't make up that money, and then you've dropped all of your money into yeah. a stroker kit. Yeah, I I hear you. I hear you. I just um, gotta push a little bit. I just gotta. You no, know, got, I'm not, if you're close really to the edge. I gotta see if I can get you there. I don't even disagree with you. I wish, but I just need to get the fuck. If I had like, if I had like one more vehicle that was currently running and didn't need work, so that I could like, because I don't trust my Ford. So it, relying on it to be my daily driver, I'm like, no, that's this is a time bomb. Um, although I actually did fix the one thing on my Ford. I, I fixed the choke on my Ford. And now, no matter what the temperature, it starts very easily. Nice. Ooh. Yeah, I had to right. do that because I blew up my Chevy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want a, another really bad idea, Brandon? Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> one of my friends uh, found out that Small block Chevy and a Subaru EJ have very similar bore spacing. And he was talking about making a, a V4 overhead cam engine. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Why not? Just like take a, a 350 and saw it in half and put Subaru heads on it. <laughs> huh. uh, I, I don't think there's any advantage to doing that. I think he was just like, you know, if I can get a couple junkyard engines and make this happen as a novelty, it'll be kind of fun. I mean, uh, there definitely was as uh, somebody who took a small block Chevy V8 and cut six cylinders off of it and made a V twin that they ran in a car. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think there cool. it was a smoky unit hot vapor uh, intake project. I know someone else that has a, a V4 Chevy that was like on a sprint car, like a midget or something. And actually, now I think about it, there was someone in the 60s that I think converted a 350 to steam and in, into a steam engine. So like people have done some wild shit with those motors. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the most prolific motors in history. So yeah, uh, that, that's why I love them, because it's easy to find parts and everything. But it yeah. also means that there's some weird shit that's been done with them over the years. Right. Me, I'm just trying to get the heads off and hoping that I don't find anything like serious in terms of like damage to the heads or pistons or 
Because, I mean, you know, milkshake doesn't have to mean blown head gasket. It can mean, what, like, fucking hole in the fucking cylinder wall or some shit. Yeah. I mean, optimistically, if it is just a head gasket, that's an easy, relatively easy fix. But, yeah, you definitely want to make sure there's no uh, fucked up bearings or, you know, scored uh, bores or pistons or whatever. I will not check any bearings. Yeah. Probably for the best. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're going to take... I don't know. Are you going to take the oil pan off or is that a pain in the ass? Uh, It would be easy as long as I remove the motor. Yeah. Okay. So not really what I plan on doing, but I I really won't even know what is necessitated in this whole business until I get the top end off tomorrow or find that the top end is just going to be extraordinarily difficult to remove while on the, in the van. And then I pull the whole thing anyway. Yeah. Like I said, a part of me is just saying, like, use this as an excuse to fix all the odds and ends, like, small leaks that have been there since I bought the van, and have it just be, like, a nice, clean, like, I love a clean engine bay. And this is always grimy on one side where something's leaking, so I'm like, oh, maybe maybe this should be my excuse. And that attitude has gotten me in trouble a lot. (laughs) You just need an engine that that constantly leaks cleaning product out into the engine bay. <laughs> Sounds just like a one. I'm, I'm already reluctant. <laughs> no, just get like a windshield washer uh, nozzle that like sprays simple green all over it. Well, then I would have to have, have a windshield wiper nozzle that works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's it. That's it. I blew a fucking head gasket in the one reliable vehicle that I had fun yeah well i guess um i guess i'll go next yeah um i haven't really done much (laughs) i've I've basically (laughs) uh i've done nothing i haven't fixed my headlight haven't put my rear interior in and um i haven't uh, i'm having a problem again where my driver's door lock sticks um i've already replaced had the uh already had the door lock actuator replaced and uh it's that hasn't worked so i think uh three or four days last week i was finding myself having to crawl in and out of the car via the passenger door um which is especially hard when i'm using the car for work and i have like equipment with me and there's nowhere to put that equipment but right in the front seat (laughs) yeah (laughs) So uh, it's not fun. And also, if my driver's side door lock sticks, I have to be careful about what I put in the back because the rear hatch won't open because it reads that the driver's side door is locked. So the button won't allow me to open up the uh, the uh, hatch. God, that's yep. annoying. So like, I already own- kept the stuff that I needed for work like in the front seat um, anyway. But like, that was also like, oh, I cannot change that so yeah super fun other than that i haven't done uh shit which whatever you know i'm working a lot it's kind of hard to find time to do stuff and uh i'm gonna be irresponsible again next week and go drifting probably for the last time this season but it don't feel too bad man if you were paying attention none of my uh anything i said this this for this week was that i fixed something (laughs) (laughs) all things that i broke (laughs) um yeah so i'm gonna go drift um i'm sure it's gonna be you know i'm still gonna have steering issues i'm still gonna have understeer i'm sure i'm still gonna have all these problems but like 
seat time is real important. Um, that's that's what I need right now. So I'll be starting next season a little bit better. But other than that, that's really all. That's all I got. So. And just curious, are there very many Z cars in junkyards where you are? Is that easy to get parts? Yeah. For? So there's there's sort of a. Um, I don't know how many are in like the normal junkyards because honestly, I found a specialty junkyard where they buy up, you know, performance cars. So they buy up like S two thousands, Evos, Zs, three fifty, three seventy, whatever. They buy GTRs, shit like that, and they just buy those cars at auction when they're totaled, and they do basically what Zach's doing, but on a bigger scale. Um, so yeah, th- thank you for not including STIs in your list of performance cars. Uh, they, <laughs> yeah, they, they probably, I'm sure they keep those too, but obviously I'm never asking about them, but, uh, right. yeah. So they take all the, like all the cool cars that people want parts off of and they chop them up there. Um, so most of the time I go there for what I'm looking for, which is where I got my headlight ballast for 25 bucks when the parts store wants almost 300. So. So yeah. yeah, that's where I go for for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess it's not really junkyard weather right now, but uh, it's not. Know. But the I got a text from the pull and pay near me that said that all of their parts are fifty percent off. Yeah, and that might be more the cold. Uh yeah, I'm about to go crawl around in the mud for probably for a Ford <laughs> Ranger transmission. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> oh yeah, well it's fifty percent off. Holy shit! Yeah, get over there. Yeah, I mean I've yanked it out of my truck so many times. I'm pretty damn good at it at this point. So you know that'd be the time. I, I try not I to heard... know about the junkyard specials because I'm like, oh, fifty percent <laughs> off. Well, I did need a couple of LSs, <laughs> <laughs> right? I I forget which junkyard it was around here, but one of them had a like a Black Friday sale where it's like anything you can carry for seventy five bucks. Oh yeah, yeah. They, I will oh, ours do that. Yeah, yeah, and and some guys, some you know, big burly guys were like able to carry like an entire engine out. Oh yeah, so every every incredible. time they always there's always somebody that tries it. <laughs> so <laughs> ours ours has two. It's one. It's uh, like X amount for however much you can carry, and two. Uh, there's one that's uh, a higher amount, but it's however much you can drag across like this ten yard yeah. stretch on a sled. Oh, that oh, seems... Wow. It's, it's just like, really it's nice. basically a truck bed liner. And it's just like, you load it up, and if you can track it this this distance, it's, you know, whatever, four, three, four hundred bucks. So you're doing oh, like a yeah. human tractor pull, basically. Yeah, except like, listeners won't know this, I'm 6'4", 250. <laughs> so like, 100%, like, whenever they have like, one of those like, $200, whatever you can carry... <laughs> I just want to drag a friend there and be like, listen, we're pulling the heads off this block and I'm going to carry the block and I just need you to drag the heads for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I saw someone, a couple guys like rigged up something with like a couple poles and some seat belts and like carried the two things between them or whatever, like an <laughs> engine and transmission or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a small bean with a, a bad back, so I can't, I can't I'm not going to do that. No, I am too stupid to say something's too heavy for me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if you get the right grip on it, a lot of things are doable. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to explain myself here, but I did have to drag an engine block up a set of stairs to get it to my porch one time. <laughs> <laughs> it can be done. Yeah, and that was yeah. a cast iron fucking engine block. Like, 
that thing weighs a couple two two 250 pounds maybe like i feel confident that if i found an aluminum block ls i could either pull the heads off and drag it across myself or maybe just get the whole fucking thing <laughs> yeah yeah and if you bring up one of those like uh backpack strap style things that people make where you know it's you basically put whatever the part is on your back like you're wearing a backpack you can carry a lot of weight i mean i'm not a small dude but i'm not huge and you know for work i have to carry nine foot tall solid core wood doors on my back and i mean they're not fucking light and i can do it yeah i always figured that if i could suspend the motor like kind of between my legs but hung from my shoulders and just like slowly waddle um I don't know. Last last time I even tried, my deadlift was three fifty, and I was a lot. I was not as strong then as I am now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I've moved a transmission or two in a similar fashion. You just grab the bell housing, grab the tail shaft, and kind of squat down over top of it, and you, you can do it. No, fuck that. I mean, I've done it quite a few times. It's I, I have safe, two. <laughs> I have two. That's not. That's why I won't do it anymore. I uh, I poured burnt ATF all down my oh, fucking no. legs one time oh. because the side that was facing me was the dipstick side, and I didn't realize that it was still full of ATF. And yeah, it, I hate this because of an incident where I ended up being like like my entire person was covered in oil dry and burned ATF for like oh. six hours. Uh, that is one of the most reprehensible smells on earth to me. So, uh, yeah, no, fuck it. I will drag a transmission on the ground before I pick it up like that again. I'm just kidding. I absolutely do carry them around like that. I just hate doing it now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The the inside of my, uh, Sabaru still smells a little bit like gear oil from when I was hauling the transmission for the MR2, but I was cleaning up my shop and I realized that I have like six or seven transmissions in my shop. <laughs> any uh, Ford A4LDs over there? <laughs> Not one Ford of any kind. God damn it. <laughs> hey, uh, turbo 350s, 400s, 250s, 204 Rs, like 400. Uh, I got a couple of two or three 700s. Oh, 700 R4s? Yeah, baby. They used to make an adapter plate to run those in my truck, and I can't find the goddamn adapter anywhere. It's pissing me off. I uh, one of like you're you're talking, you know, putting a stroker kit on, uh, on this van. I'm thinking yeah. like if it's already in my shop, maybe I should rebuild a 700 and throw it under it. I mean, shit, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, that's that's me being practical. <laughs> it's a good transmission. I lo- I love 700s, man. They're not good if, like, I mean, I, I wouldn't know what to do to make one handle power, but if you're not making anything crazy, they're fucking great. Yeah, they're they're a good workhorse for sure. We have not even gotten into our topic yet, and I almost have to be out for the night. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'll, I'll, I guess maybe we won't get up to 1970 in Ralph's life, but uh, we'll see about that. Um, yeah, I guess this I'll, will be mo- uh, uh, an update-heavy episode, yeah. and then we'll get a little into Ralph, and it'll be a two-parter. That's fine. Yeah. I'll do a, a real quick update on mine. So I I did finally do the, the brakes on my Sabaru, so it's stopping a lot better now. Um, I forget if I said that on the last one. And then I 
put in the new uh, snow tires. And, uh, you know, everyone said, get the Blizzax, and that's what I got. And so they're, they've been working real nice for me. Uh, they're a lot less noisy than the old studded tires that were on there. And uh, I cleaned up the uh, the wheels and got the brake dust off there as best I could. So they're looking real shiny and nice now. And uh, I, I realized this after I was editing the uh, the last episode where I was talking about how Firestone was, uh, um, you know, using like slave labor in Liberia to uh, harvest rubber. But uh, I, I actually went and bought them at the Firestone store. Um not remembering that. So I, uh, Wait, what is this? Um, or maybe it was on the, um, fuck it. We'll do it live episode. We were talking about how, um, in, in the country of Liberia and Africa, uh, Firestone was basically enslaving people. Uh, with Wait, like you're telling me a corporation was acting irresponsibly. Yeah. And yeah, so, I mean, it's, it sounds normal, but geez. Well, you know, probably what happened was Joe Biden signed a bill that said it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking asshole. And I'm sure all the other uh, tire companies are not uh, any better. I mean, these are Bridgestone tires that I bought at a Firestone store. So maybe they weren't made with slave labor. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess in the end, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but. I did feel kind of a little weird There's about that. There's some consumption that is worse than... <laughs> yeah. There's degrees, yeah. for yeah. sure. I think that a lot of people don't realize that when you say there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, there's a big fucking asterisk on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, don't, in, sure. don't, don't go out of your way to engage in it. Like for well, It just doesn't mean that all consumption is equally unethical. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I did, I, that's not what I was saying. But yeah, maybe I should have, uh, what do you call it, gone to another store and see if they would price match or whatever. But I don't know. It's it's right down the road for me, and they had the lowest price, so that's why I went there. But yeah, I gotta get new that, tires for the Cutlass too, man. I, I feel you. Yeah, and and I think I we talked about this, but I'll I'll probably buy some Subaru parts from Zach off of, that he's uh that he's upgrading. Uh, yeah, put yeah, those yeah. on my uh, on my Subaru. We'll see. But um, yeah, that's all I've got. Um, you guys want to take a real quick break and then talk about uh, Ralph Nader for a little bit? All right, we're back and we're talking about Ralph Nader, at least for a little bit while we still have time. And uh, we'll pick this up, you know, in the next episode. So uh, Ralph Nader was born February 27th, 1934 in Winstead, Connecticut to parents Rose and Nathra Nader, uh, who were both immigrants from Lebanon. Really? Okay. Yeah. He had uh, three siblings named Shafiq, Claire and Laura, um, which... I think Shafiq was the first, and then they figured out. Yeah, it let's... really runs the gamut of names. <laughs> yeah. yeah. His mom, Rose, taught Arabic and French at a school, and uh, his dad, Nathra, worked at a textile mill and then opened his own bakery and restaurant, and that was the family business for a long time that they uh, they all worked in as kids. 
So Ralph worked there. He liked working at the cash register because he liked talking to people. And uh, he also had a paper route as a kid. Rose uh, grew her own vegetables and refused to serve processed food to her children, uh, which was probably good in the yeah, 1930s. Yeah, especially. Um, I feel like I feel like that's when food wasn't nearly as processed. Well, I mean, it wasn't, but it just well, had a lot more sawdust in it. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> stuff that was brought, processed that was. Uh, yeah, you really wanted to avoid that stuff. Yeah, when did uh, Upton Sinclair write his uh, his book? That was uh, think <laughs> late twenties. Oh, was it even okay. I thought it was even the uh, you know teens or something. So I, I thought it was the late eighteen hundreds. So we're really unclear. Any on of that. those <laughs> any of those old times, food was probably not great then. So <laughs> I'm just gonna look it up real quick. Nineteen oh six. So. If okay. We split the difference between all our guesses. We were close. <laughs> Democracy works. I was totally going to say 1906, guys. I just, I, I just didn't, <laughs> just didn't mention it. But yeah. I'm going to say between like him doing that in 1906 and what was going on in Russia in like 1906, the Russians were doing a lot more interesting shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so his dad Nathra was big into politics. Uh, he was often talk about like different policies at the family dinner table. Uh, but he urged all of them to never join any political party. He saw that as uh, a bad thing, uh, which you know, I can understand that. Um, but I think that informed Ralph in his later life to to be uh, very independent. So I shouldn't so, even jo- join uh, Joe Brandon's political party. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say even no. after all the things he's done to workers. I mean, four workers. <laughs> yeah, four <laughs> workers, two workers. Um, I'm still angry, <laughs> as you should be. But now I'm more drunk. All right, so so Ralph was uh, <laughs> so so Ralph went to uh, the Gilbert School. It's a high school in the in the town there. Graduated in 1951, and then went to Princeton University. Uh, they offered him a scholarship, but his dad made him turn it down because they could afford to pay for his school. And he's like, that should go to some other kid that that actually needs it. Damn, that's uh, that's noble. I yeah. was going to say that was really stupid. But then when I heard the reasoning, I'm like, oh, that's kind of sick. Yeah. 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 And I guess back nice in. Him. What? I was just saying that that's pretty nice of him. Good yeah. Guy. Yeah. Good dude. And uh, I mean, I guess in 1951, you could pay for Princeton with the uh, the wages from uh, a restaurant, you know, <laughs> owner and a, a teacher. <laughs> um, well, yeah, when you first set it up, I was and, and he was like, oh, we, we can afford to pay it. I'm just like, that sounds like hubris. Like you have just decided we're going to figure this out. But if they actually could afford it, then then economics makes less sense to me than I thought. Yeah. So uh, um, a little bit more about his mom. Uh, in 1955, there is a, a big flood in Winstead. And uh, U.S. Senator Prescott Bush was visiting the town there. Boo! Yeah. Um, he, he, if, if you don't remember, he's the guy that uh, tried to overthrow the government um, 
with the, the whole business plot thing under FDR. And uh, also when right. he was in the Skull and Bone Society, um, dug up the uh, skull of uh, Geronimo and stole it. I didn't even Earth know that part. part. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. He was, oh, uh, he was part of that. Oh. Also, he fathered a whole like lineage of shitheads. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That who too. might have killed JFK. Um, <laughs> so Prescott Bush was at this uh, event and uh, Rose Nader cornered him and like shook his hand and wouldn't let go until he promised to build a new dam for the town. Damn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> nice. Uh, Ralph Nader doing some direct action. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Ralph Nader went to Princeton and then eventually went to Harvard Law School after that. Uh, but he got bored with his courses. He was kind of like, uh, well, here's a quote from him. He said, from day one, I laughed at the game. It was just to prepare corporate lawyers. Uh, if anyone yeah. fell off the bandwagon and became a lawyer for the poor, it was viewed as a random event. They made minds sharp by making them narrow. Which hundred percent, yeah, yeah, Jeez, <laughs> very. Uh, I wasn't yeah, really I'm, sure what I'm to gonna... expect going into this episode, but so far, uh, I kind of agree with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's these little glimmers. That I'm like, okay, this guy's a cool guy, you know. So also, while at Harvard, he would often skip class to hitchhike across the U.S. And it says he would uh, engage in field research on Native American issues, the status of Puerto Rico, and migrant worker rights. Holy fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't been able to find out much more about this time period, but that sounds cool. I don't know exactly what he was doing. So he was born in 35, and let's assume that like this is midway through college. So 34? Yeah. So, I mean, like even if he's around 20 at this time, that's still only like 54, 55, and... That's pro- that's progressive as fuck to be like caring about those groups. I, I don't yeah. know. Like it's it's hard to understand what what an era in the U.S. was like because it's not like we were taught an accurate idea of what it was like. But yeah, we don't even know what you know the public thought in a lot of cases. You know, but, we're, but we're I feel like in the fifties we were still very much in the like boomer nuclear family, like white picket yeah. fence sort of. We were, yeah, yeah. That that's true. And Again, that was wasn't the- all of it. That's what we're presented, but that was largely a reality so yeah and also during these travels he uh saw a lot of car accidents um (laughs) which were happening all the time back then uh so uh he that was i don't know if you've been on the roads lately but that ain't stopped (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that got his his mind thinking about uh auto safety but uh let's see brandon did you have to leave uh i was about to say something i uh Unfortunately, I have to check out early today, but I will be back on the next recording. Same same time, same place. Yeah. All right. Well, good to see you, man. Good to yeah, see you. Uh, yeah. Good seeing you. How do I just close this out? I think so. Yeah. Okay. We'll All right. see what happens. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. Take care. Bye. Later. Bye. Yeah. Uh, so we got his law degree in 1958 from Harvard. Uh, around this time, he was identifying with libertarian philosophy, uh, mm. but start started drifting away uh, in his early twenties. That's funny. Um, I, I I can relate. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, here's the thing: was this post Murray Rothbard's bullshit of you know cannibalizing yeah, sure. 
the term or was this a classical libertarian? Oh, no, no. Was Nader almost an anarchist or was this Ayn Randian fucking bullshit modern libertarianism? Here's a quote from him. Uh, he, he said that he didn't like public housing because it disadvantaged, uh, it disadvantaged landlords unfairly. Ooh, oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Never mind. That clears that up. Yeah. But then he, he changed his view when he saw the slums and what landlords did. <laughs> he met a landlord. That would do it. Like, hmm. I feel like I agree with Mao when it comes to landlords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I was a libertarian until I saw the real world. You know, <laughs> I was a libertarian until I took MDMA and experienced empathy one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a, I was a libertarian, and then I like started working and was like, oh no, no, none of that no more. Yeah. Around this time, around uh, 1958-59, he uh, joined the U.S. Army and worked as a cook at Fort Dix. Um, (laughs) 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 Yeah. So, and then in... I mean, come on. Who names... I mean, I get that Dick was a popular name back then, but Fort Dix, come on. It's spelled D-I-X. It was okay, someone's yeah, last Cox name. Yeah, is spelled C C O X, but like, <laughs> me, not land. You know, yeah. there is a Fort Cox. It's right, uh, right across from Fort Dix. They they're almost <laughs> touching, but not quite. They just. Oh, <laughs> uh, I could make some jokes about that, but I we gotta keep moving. <laughs> um, so after he was done with the army, I think it was just a like a quick thing like maybe a year uh in 1959 he was admitted to the bar and began to practice as a lawyer in hartford connecticut he was also lecturing at the university of hartford um and in this time he uh did some traveling he went to the soviet union chile and cuba uh where he filed dispatches for the christian science monitor the new republic and the nation uh, so he's doing like sort of travel logs uh, for the these is, different. Oh, yeah, what's this other? What's this first one? Uh, the what? The what? Christian Science Monitor. Um, it's actually a pretty reputable newspaper, from what I hear. Uh, oh, even though okay. it was founded it sounds, by the it sounds Christian unreputable. Science. It, yeah, it, it, it sounds very I mean, unreputable. But okay, I I can see it. I guess <laughs> maybe they don't have the the best views on like blood transfusions, but. Uh, <laughs> I think they're yeah, reporting Christianity and science, not notoriously the most compatible. Oh, well, Christian science is like its own religion. It's a, uh, it's very strange. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They, it's like the first, the first church of Christ scientist, comma scientist. <laughs> it's very strange. Anyways. Um, so while he was doing his little journalism thing, he, uh, he went to Cuba and interviewed Fidel Castro in 1959. So like right after the revolution. Hell yeah. Wow. That's sweet. And dude, when I, was- don't want, I don't want to give Nader like too much credit. So I like, I don't want to look like an idiot in like an hour when we or you know, on the next episode when we find out he kind of sucked for some reason. But like so far, dude seems absolutely based. Oh yeah. yeah I'm no. with it. 100%. Yeah. He, I, I, I haven't found too much of him that was, bad just you know maybe not aligned with our views you know he's he's more of a liberal and then he's he also for a liberal he's he's decent yes. he's one of the good ones exactly all right I can um that. 
And then when he was in Chile in 1963, he in- interviewed uh, Salvador Allende. Sweet. So I couldn't find any of these interviews, um, but I'm really looking for those. So uh, listeners, if if you uh, can help me find these uh, these articles, please reach out. Another article he did for The Nation in 1959 was titled The Safe Car You Can't Buy. Uh, and this was later the basis for his full-length book, Unsafe at Any Speed. I also haven't been able to find this full article, but I did find uh, a quick excerpt here. Doors that fly open on impact, inadequately secured seats, the sharp-edged rearview mirror, pointed knobs on instrument panels and doors, flying glass, the overhead structure, all illustrate the lethal potential of poor design. Automobiles, automobiles are so designed as to be dangerous at any speed. So there's the the kernel of what was going on in there. And then he's he's famously a cheapskate. Like like today he's probably worth a couple million dollars, but he lives on like twenty five thousand dollars a year, um, according to his friends. So in nineteen fifty nine he bought a dozen pairs of shoes at a clearance sale and uh, he got these to last until 1983 until he had to buy new shoes again. Nice. (laughs) That's awesome. uh, That is, that is uh, yeah. Admirable frugality. Yeah. In 1964, he moved to Washington DC and took a position as a consultant to assistant secretary of labor, Daniel Patrick Moynihan. And uh, Moynihan is mentioned a lot in um, Unsafe at Any Speed. Uh, He was doing a lot of work with him. And while he was doing this, he continued his original research on on cars. And he received a $3,000 advance from a publisher to um, finish the manuscript. And then in 1964, when he was almost done with it, he left uh, his only copy of the manuscript in a taxi cab <laughs> and oh, had to no. start all over from scratch. Oh, very. You know what? That's a that's like a fucking regular Joe move right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sucks. And oh, uh, man, someone I asked him that <laughs> someone asked him in an interview, uh, did you ever consider not writing it? And he said, never. I wouldn't give GM the satisfaction. that's pretty cool so in his research he went over more than a hundred lawsuits that were pending against General Motors um, because of the Corvair and then in in 1965 he published Unsafe at Any Speed and it immediately became a bestseller and then in early 1966 uh, while working as an unpaid advisor to Senator Abraham Ribicoff, who's also mentioned in the book, on projected auto safety hearings, uh, Nader came to be, he, he became suspicious that someone was following him. But uh, he went to Ribicoff and uh, said, hey, I think something's going on. And there was a Senate inquiry into the matter. And they um, found out that General Motors had been trying to discredit Nader by tapping his phone oh God. Um, to try to find out dirt on him. And then when that failed, they hired prostitutes to like solicit him. <laughs> oh, uh, Jesus which, Christ. Of course, of course. Which didn't work. Um, 
And some people, because of this whole fiasco, uh, Ralph is very private about his personal life and like dating and everything. So like, there's no like credible information about like anyone that he's dated ever. Like no one said, yeah, yeah, we were dating for a while. Um, as far as I know, he's just been single for 88 years. There was uh, a rumor that he dated a, a woman named uh, Joan Claybrook that he worked with around this time. Uh, she's a lawyer uh, and they helped pass uh, some safety legislation for cars together. That's cool. And uh, Claybrook. So whatever. Sorry. Hold on. Was there anything that ever happened? Like GM was like found discovered to have like tapped this guy's phone. Anything yeah. ever come of that? I mean, I'm get this is America, so I'm expecting no. But like, I don't want to oh, just no. gloss over that. Like, what the fuck happened with that? <laughs> yeah, no, I was getting to that. But so like, um, Nader sued GM, and they settled out of court for um, four hundred twenty-five thousand uh, dollars. And what year was that? I think it was around nineteen seventy. Okay, uh, that, so the that's settlement some good actually money. finished. Yeah, yeah. So, so this was some good money, and he used that to. Um, open an organization called the center for study of responsive law mouthful. Yeah. What did they do? It's a little clunky. I think they, um, investigated, uh, the FTC, uh, or something. I've got that nice. later in my notes. Um, cool. So, so there is, yeah. So this is the quick overview. There is a lot more going on. Yeah. Here. Like I said, I keep, I keep finding these moments where it's like, okay, there's more that I'd like to look into this guy. There's so I'll probably have some updates on some of these Sweet. little points here in the in the next one. Good. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's good that we're you know we're getting a chance to like look into the life of Nader in general, after, you know, and what led to unsafe at any speed and how we got that pretty historic work. Yeah. So yeah, very cool. Yeah, and I don't know the. I hope some of this will give you an idea of his character and like why he cared about the things that he did. Seems like it's mostly because he was just, uh, just the most stand up guy you could imagine. I mean, it seems that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is that <but> foreshadowing? <laughs> I, I, like I said, I haven't been able to find any dirt on him. You know, neither did GM. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, that's really saying something. But uh, the the lady that he maybe dated, uh, Joan Claybrook, she later went on to be the head of the NHTSA under Carter. Oh, nice. And uh, she was the one that enacted the law mandating 85 mile an hour speed speedometers uh, in the 70s. Um, what were they before that? Like just lower? No, it was it was a, an idea to like keep people from speeding. Oh, OK. Oh, I didn't know that was a law. Huh. Yeah, I had no idea. I just thought like the the car companies were just like really unambitious at the time, <laughs> and like they're just like we don't want you you to have high expectations here. Eighty five, that's where we're going to. Maybe ninety, but you'll never know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's huh? Didn't know that. And I think that was in effect through the eighties sometime, because I remember the um, what's it called, the DeLorean and Back to the Future. Um, it's you know it's got to hit eighty eight miles an hour to travel through time or whatever. Uh-huh. And the U.S. market speedometers only went up to 85, so they had to retrofit a European speedometer to get it <laughs> to go above that. 
Man, the, he was already doing the entire time machine build, and then he's got to swap a speedo too. Damn, <laughs> man, it's one thing after another with these project cars. Yeah. <laughs> so, as part of their activism, uh, Ralph and uh, Claybrook in 1966, uh, Congress enacted the National Traffic and Motor Safety Vehicle Act, which created the NHTSA that she later went on to work for. Um, and this was the first federal legislation on motor vehicle safety. Before then, it was all just up to the states. Well, that's, yeah, that's really good. That's actually they made quite a big difference then. Yeah. Over the next 50 years, the NHTSA's uh, regulations reduced the rate of death per mile driven by 80%. Holy cow. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, and to be saves... fair, shit was really bad before. So oh, like, yeah. it's it's very believable. <laughs> it, there was a lot of improvement to be made, and uh, it's 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 estimated that they saved up to three and a half million lives uh, with this legislation. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's impressive. I'll just do one one more paragraph, and then I think we'll wrap it up. Sweet. In 1968, uh, Nader recruited seven volunteer law students, uh, which were dubbed Nader's Raiders by the press, to uh, evaluate the uh, efficacy and operation of the Federal Trade Commission. The, the group's report, which criticized the body as ineffective and passive, led to an American Bar Association investigation into the FTC. And based on the results of the study, Richard Nixon revitalized the agency and sent it on a path of vigorous consumer protection and, and and antitrust enforcement for the rest of the 1970s. So this was back when Republicans yeah. like Nixon actually. <laughs> Nixon would be good for a Democrat these yeah. days, for Christ's sake. Jesus. God, that is a depressing thought. On some issues, not all issues. Right. Let's be real. Let's be, but like on some issues, at this, God, we're almost... We're wishing Nixon was back because it'd be better than fucking Biden. Man, right. we're as bad. That's that's a bummer. I mean, again, I wouldn't expect Biden to be on our side anyway, but dear God, that's yikes. Yeah. So so this uh, became kind of a prestigious thing to be like an intern for Ralph Nader at this time period if you're a law student. Uh, because a lot of people got their careers launched from this whole thing. Like a notable alum of the program was uh, MSNBC host Chris Matthews, uh, which maybe mm. wasn't the best fuck idea after yeah, all. Fuck then. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was the guy that was freaking out about uh, getting guillotined in Times Square or something. If, yeah, yeah, he if thought Sanders it he was won. the... He was the executions in Central Park's guy if Bernie yeah. Sanders wins the fucking primary guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that, that guy. So, uh, Nader, you, you, you fucked up there. Not everything was a win. Uh, Nader gave us Chris Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty big that's a that's a pretty big downside, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But, so, you know, you did a lot of good, but uh, you did give us Chris Matthews. So, uh gonna be a no for me man <laughs> yeah <laughs> so this um, group uh they investigated all kinds of things uh mostly like you know government corruption um 
you know, consumer protection stuff. Uh, they investigated nuclear power, pipeline safety, food and drug safety, airline safety, water and air pollution, antitrust enforcement, corporate governance, and shareholder democracy, clean energy, tax reform, income and wealth inequality, campaign finance reform, pension rights, old age homes, occupational standards, uh, excuse me, occupational hazards, healthcare, smoking, freedom of information laws, multinationals, the educational testing service, veterans affairs, land management, whistleblowing, trade policy, insurance, and procurement. So just a few things. And a lot of what they investigated led to a lot of uh, regulations in the 70s, um, which we will get into in the next episode because we are running out of time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that, that takes us up to around 1970 in, in his life. And like I said, there's plenty more to go. Sweet. Any thoughts before we uh, wrap it up and get out of here, guys? Uh, well, follow us on social media and give us a good uh, rating or review in whatever your podcast app is, wherever you listen to us. Go ahead and, uh, I don't know, give us a nice little review. Helps uh, other people find us and, I don't know, other weird car nerds like yourself probably want to hear what we're talking about. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, but probably. <laughs> so go follow us and whatever. Hang out with us online, I guess. Oh, and weren't you saying, Connor, like, um, you know, if we you had a couple of people contact us and then we lost track of it. So oh, yeah, yeah. if that We've happened... Had... Just send yeah. us an email. Yeah, please send us an email. Uh, I, I'm very irresponsible and very not put together. And especially now when like I for a while, I had a little more time to co- try and coordinate stuff. But like right now with the second job, not going to be on. I'm not going to lie. It's it is hard for me to keep up. So there are people who have wanted to come on. They felt they had something cool to you know talk about. And I would love to schedule those. But I am really bad at scheduling that kind of shit. So I am just not the most responsible with that. So please, uh, it's nothing personal. If you'd like to come on, the place to send an inquiry or whatever is to uh, our email, which is just carsandcomrades uh, at gmail.com, all spelled out. So um, yeah, if you'd like to come on, or if you've never messaged us in the past, but you would still like to come on and you got something you want to talk about, um, just try and put together kind of what you're thinking and uh, reach out to us via email. Yeah, And if you message us on social media, I will say, hey, that's awesome. You should send us an email, though, because Bryant mostly looks at the email and uh, Bryant is hopefully somewhat more responsible than me. I don't know about that, but it goes to my phone and I can look at my phone and I'll probably see your email, although we do get a lot of spam, so it might get lost in the shuffle there. Yeah, we do get a lot of spam. So, you know, uh, follow up, too. Yeah. No worries there. Keep keep bugging us. Um, Yeah. And if you, even if you don't want to be on the show, but you just want to tell us something that we want, that we should talk about on the show, do that too. Yeah. And and don't be shy about it. You know, you've seen how organized and put together we are. So don't think you have to write a thesis or anything. Yeah. Just just throw (laughs) some thoughts, you know, it it doesn't have to be anything crazy. Yeah. Just say, I was thinking about (laughs) drum breaks the other day and here's, here are my thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I was thinking about drum breaks and also the fall of the USSR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. But anyway, that's all. Yeah, that's all I got. All right. Well, good night. And uh, we'll be back next time with a little bit more on Ralph Nader.
Sweet. Thanks for oh, listening. Yeah. All right. Bye. 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 We don't make you pay five and five bits. We make you pay five and water bits. We gonna fight riches and not riches, but we gonna fight the solidarity. We said we're not gonna fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we going to fight the socialism. <laughs> Amazingly, or not so amazingly, Cuba's crime rate is one of the lowest in the entire hemisphere. Oddly enough, it seems that when people have their basic human needs met, they're less likely to commit crimes. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. The free market mythology, it argues that the most ruthless, selfish, opportunistic, greedy, calculating plunderers Applying the most heartless measures in cold-blooded pursuit of corporate interest and wealth accumulation will produce the best results for all of us. Through something called the invisible hand. <laughs> what are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you.